الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين رب الأولين والآخرين يا رب لك الحمد كما ينبغي لجلال وجهك ولعظيم سلطانك وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا وولي أمرنا وأولنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله يا أيها النبي إنا أرسلناك شاهدا ومبشرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا وبشر المؤمنين بأن لهم من الله فضلا كبيرا ولا تطع الكافرين والمنافقين ودع أذاهم وتوكل على الله وكفى بالله وكيلا ما يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters The ayah number 25 in Surah Al-Anfal says وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً Avoid a fitna that is not peculiar to those who are responsible for injustice from among you. Ittaqu fitnatan لا تصيبن الذين ظلموا منكم خاصة. Guard against a fitna 
that is not limited to الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا from among you in particular. The meaning of this ayah is that we have individuals with power and wealth. They make decisions for societies and populations and their decisions are oppressive they're not fair some of them are tyrannical others are self-centered whatever the case is Allah says those who are responsible for these decisions he calls them الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا When worldly punishment comes due, it will not be pointed at these individuals only. When the punishment comes due, it will include along with these individuals others and you may be among them وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً Surah Al-Anfal Ayah number 25 When we speak about zulm, it is natural to think about adl. There are four words that the Muslims, generally speaking, have not delineated, distinguished in their minds. They lump them all together. Two of these words are juxtaposed with two other words. We have on one side Adil and Qist. We have on the other side Zulm and Jawr. And to the average Muslim, Al Adil and Al Qist are the same thing. And to the average Muslim, Zulm and Jawr are the same thing. But that's not the case. Adil is juxtaposed with zulm. Justice is juxtaposed with injustice. Qist, social justice, is juxtaposed with jawr social injustice a small lesson here it's not difficult to understand and as simple as it is it is lost on us as Muslim societies in the world maybe a few individuals are keenly aware and sensitive 
to the implications of these meanings but because public opinion is Muslim public opinion is not we can't develop our better understanding of Allah and his Prophet so when we speak about Zulm we we think about Adil because both of these are the opposite of each other Adil stops you from going into injustice from going into zulm Hilm stops you from going into anger and wrath the moments of a shaitan in human psychology And al-ilm stops you from going into jahl. Knowledge stops you from going into ignorance. These three are the diseases that are in our body. Ignorance, anger, and injustice. And you can take a closer look you can think in the parameter of your social contacts whether it is your ethnic group your cultural group your national group whatever group of people you have a thinking control over you will find these three maladies in our body the Prophet of Allah may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him in one of the hadiths says Afdalul Jihad Kalimatu Haqqin Inda Sultanin Ja'ir the best form of struggle is to express the word of truth in the presence of an authority that is responsible for social injustice. You see the word here, Sultanin Ja'ir. The wording was not Sultan Zalim. And you can develop a wider range of the vitality and the dynamics of these meanings when you consider them very closely, whenever you read them in the Qur'an or whenever you encounter them in the Sunnah. Afdalul Jihad Kalimatu Haq عند سلطان جائر. Now, if you take the ayah that we just quoted from Surah Al-Anfal, وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً 
and you take the Prophet's statement, أَفْضَلُ الْجِهَادِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَلِمَةُ حَقِّ There's another hadith, كَلِمَةُ عَدِلْ عِنْدَ سُلْطَانٍ And we have a sequence of ayat and we have another sequence of hadiths that we can add on to the ayah in Surah Al-Anfal and to the hadith of the Prophet. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. But when we take a look at today's world, the Prophet of Allah in another statement of his says, Al-Ulama Warathatul Anbiya. The scholars are the heirs of prophets. The era of prophethood has gone. There's no other prophets that are going to come with a new message or with a new revelation or with a new social responsibility to a particular group of people. That's gone. So who now, the responsibility falls upon whom? Who are the, the Prophet, what did he live for? The Prophet's lifelong struggle was what? To build a house? To win an argument? To get involved in scientific discoveries? What did he stand for all his life? He stood for the affirmation of Allah's authority and power in man's life. That was the objective and that was the goal. What are we doing if we say we are the, the followers of the Prophet? We are carrying on with his mission and responsibilities. What are we doing towards the objective of affirming Allah's authority in power in all spheres of life? Allah doesn't need us in the material world. We're not responsible for gravity. That's a physical law. Allah will take care of that. What And all of these other physical and material and hard science laws. Allah is responsible for those. We are responsible for our social will. That's what we are responsible for. And anyone who distracts us from this responsibility is trying to defeat the purpose of our Prophet. Even now, our Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, is not physically among us. But he left us with a trust. And we have to honor this trust. And we can't do so when we have some scholars who ascend the minbar or who speak to the public on other occasions 
and they are incapable of speaking truth to power of demonstrating as much as they can why certain rulers have gone astray and have parted from Allah and his prophet we don't have people who can do that what time are they spending precious time are they spending on Fridays on Eids on Islamic celebrations and commemorations and occasions what are they doing creating animosity and hatred among Muslims we're already divided almost endlessly and they want to add to that division uncounted other divisions but this is the real world we are in these are the facts and some Muslims get a kick out of going to Jummah prayers they will live with a troubled conscience if they don't go to Jummah prayers or if they don't celebrate a certain commemoration of Islamic history or then their conscience will begin to bother them but if they go to a masjid an Islamic center a community center a whatever center they go there and then they listen to nonsense then their conscience is soothed listening to nonsense they are satisfied this is the real world we are in are these self-defined ulama are these ulama the heirs of the prophets are they carrying this mission forward whenever you hear them whatever occasion it is whatever Eid it is whatever it is when you, you hear them speak they'll speak for an hour some of them for two hours some of them even more than that in all of what they have said does the mission of Allah, this is a historical mission that did not begin, begin with the last prophet and did not end with the last prophet. How many of you ascertain from what you've heard and understood that they are trying to move the process of Allah's authority and power forward? At least in your minds. We can't expect them to become the rulers of the land. But at least they can work towards that goal. And the first step in that direction is to get our thoughts straight and be able to express truth and justice when the world is in dire need of truth and justice. Once again, the ayah, وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً And the hadith, 
أفضل الجهاد كلمة حق عند سلطان جائر أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم دعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear brothers and sisters, in light of the ayah and the hadiths that were just quoted, in light of those meanings, we want to carry those meanings in our mind and speak truth to power. Look at ourselves. Look at the real challenges and obstacles and threats that are all around us. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the vestiges of freedom to express ourselves. We don't know whether this is going to continue. But up until now at least, we can express ourselves even though, as you can see, we are under the elements. Very hot day. Now, I want to travel with you into the psychology of Islamic personalities and Islamic movements that now are living on the horns of a dilemma. These Islamic movements in the Arab countries, they had a fallback position if they were in Egypt, if they were in Morocco, if they were in Syria and Iraq and other places, even outside of the Arab domain, they had a fallback position. Their fallback position were the Gulf states. Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, and to a much lesser degree, Bahrain and Oman. This was their fallback position. Now, there is quarrel. There's the beginning of the rumblings of warfare inside those artificial nation states. They're at each other's throats. And they popped up with this hostility during the month of Ramadan. They didn't even have the courtesy to say, we are going to ignite our differences outside a sacred month. They couldn't wait because they had their master visit them from Washington to Riyadh. 
just few days before Ramadan and then in the first week of Ramadan they opened fire verbal fire against themselves these Islamic persons and these Islamic parties they relied on cash financial assistance job employment even citizenship documents from these nation states but now we have one of these two of these nation states Saudi Arabia and an Emirat picking a fight with Qatar it would seem that the Saudi royals felt that their prestige is slipping even among the Islamic types and the barometer of their slipping on the scale of status among the Islamic minded was simply the issue of Gaza The Turkish government and the Qatari government were assisting the Palestinians more than the Saudis. And this caused an internal erosion of the figure that the Saudis used to have in the 60s and 70s and 80s, etc. among these Islamic personalities and these Islamic parties. As a reminder, because some of you who are listening don't come from Arab countries, as a reminder, when members of the Islamic movement were persecuted, expelled from their countries, treated like enemies, they found an open heart in Saudi Arabia, an open hand. King Faisal in the 1960s told them, come here. I will secure for you jobs. I will give you positions in universities. I will offer you scholarships. Even some of you who have been denied the citizenship of your own countries, I will give you Saudi citizenship or at least Saudi passports. And so, what did we have? We had Al Jami' Al Islamiyya in Al Madinah that was a refuge for these unwanted in their own countries. We had Rabitat Al Alam Al Islami, the Muslim World League in Mecca Al Mukarramah which was also another magnet for these types. We also had IFSO, the International Islamic Federation of Students Association, centered in Riyadh. So they found that there is some relief with this relationship with the Saudi monarchy. But the Saudi monarchy 
of the 60s and 70s is not the Saudi monarchy of today. And these types of Islamically oriented individuals should begin to learn the lessons that are coming their way instead of committing the same mistake multiple times as if nothing happened. The the low, the psychological deterioration that is going on inside this Islamic milieu now is such that even to express any sympathy in Saudi Arabia if you're a committed Muslim and you express any public sympathy that's all with Qatar you are subject to a harsh penalty So some of these people it's reported, some of these reports that just circulate around. A person his, gave his son years ago the name Tamim. You know, the ruler in Qatar, his name is Tamim. But now, because of this hostility, he went to court to change the name of his son from Tamim to Salman. This is how deep this thing is going. One Arabian ruler prides himself that he listens to an Israeli entertainer by the name of Michel Eliyahu and others. He listens to others. Now you can tell where they are going with their future. There are divorces that are taking place. Someone from the United Arab Emirates and someone else from Qatar are married. Now, they have to separate because the political animosity cannot toler tolerate a marriage like that. And for those of you who are tuned in to Arabian cultures, the singer, the entertainer Ahlam from the United Arab Emirates is married to a Qatari and we don't know whether this marriage is going to end if things continue like this is going to end up in a divorce or not but this is how low this psychology has dipped these nation states and we know where they're where they're getting their cues from they're speaking now about establishing a military base in Al-Bahrain. All of this is because of their hatred of Qatar. Just in the past month, a very secretive meeting took place in Cairo between high-ranking security and intelligence and political officials from Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Israel, Jordan, and Bahrain. What are they doing there? And where are the Muslims who ascend the minbar on Friday to keep an eye on these zalimeen?
and what they are planning and plotting. The ex-interior minister of Saudi Arabia is virtually under house arrest. It's reported that he's been contacted by email and he's been tweeted and he has not been responding. Even his guards have changed. He no longer has the loyal guards that were familiar with him and he was familiar with them. What are they planning? Don't we have enough insight to just mention these facts? No one's planning strategy here. We're just covering territory, public information that is out there. This public information cannot be harnessed, cannot be corralled and expressed from the minbar. And this spokesperson, this Saudi ex-military person, who goes around making statements to normalize relationships with the Zionist thieves in Palestine. This person now is not only talking about normalizing relations, he's also speaking about entering into a pact with the Zionist criminals in Palestine. They're beginning to run out of tricks and they are beginning, these officials, and they're beginning to run out of hope. What I'm going to say right now is not meant to harm the image of the ulama. It is not meant to degrade them or disrespect them. Our ulama throughout the course of time have sacrificed in their own way. Some of them admirably, some of them less than that. But here is where in our time, in our generation, here is where we have to shed the light to speak the truth, not against officials only, but against those scholars who toe the line of those tyrannical officials. And to do so, I will mention one scholar because he is an eminent scholar, he's well known, well recognized, and appreciated by many, many Muslims who lives in Qatar, Shaykh Yusuf al-Qaravawi. What we are going to say is on record. There's nothing here. I'm not divulging any secret. I'm just putting one and one together so that we can add things up and realize what is happening to us. When our scholars sell themselves to those in power. 
before 2011, this is when this so-called Arabian Spring began, Al-Qardawi was on record praising Bashar al-Assad because he took a very principled and powerful position against the Zionists and the imperialists. Then in 2011, an abracadabra happened and the opposite began to show itself from the same person who began to condemn the same ruler that he had just praised in the few years before that. And what did he say? He said, Yusuf al-Qaradawi said that he would wish the United States to take a stand for Allah. The, Arab, the two Arabic words for that, waqfatan lillah. How can this be? It's like saying to a shaitan, be supportive of Allah. Now, if some politician was saying something like that, we just dismiss the talk. It's political talk. Anyone can dismiss it. But when a alim speaks, he's not supposed to speak like this. And this is just in a short span of time. We're not talking decades here. Something he said when he was very young, and then he matured through the experiences of life and realized, no, the truth is not what he said previously. The same scholar blessed the interference of NATO into Libya, which caused some individuals, some writers, some who follow events to call him the person who issues fatwas for NATO. We can remember when Daesh came into existence in Iraq. Just a few years ago, no one is straining your memory. Just a few years ago, when they said they're establishing their Khilafah, which by the way, with the loose term Al-Khilafah used, is the shortest Khilafah in Islamic history. And thank Allah, it is the shortest. It should never have been. But anyways, that's what the media calls it, and that's what they call themselves. And it survived only for three years, if we can call their presence in Iraq and Syria survival. How did this scholar, how did he describe the Dawaish, the ISIS in Iraq, and then in Syria. He said, This is a Sunni uprising. And then an Islamic scholar was killed in a masjid in Damascus while giving a lesson he was 
They El Qarzawi knew him very well. They knew each other very well. And then the way Al Qarzawi explains the assassination of Muhammad Sayyid Ramadan al Buti, that was the scholar that was killed in the masjid in Damascus by ISIS, is trying to give credibility to ISIS against another Islamic scholar. And now, after all is said and done, Al-Qardawi is placed on a list, on an international list of terrorists by these regimes that are against Qatar. The Saudi Arabian regime. Saudi Arabia, if you if you read the journalistic and the newspaper output of the Islamic types in the world, they are siding with Qatar without mentioning Saudi Arabia. They don't they still don't have the courage to come out and point a finger of truth against Saudi Arabia by name. This Saudi Arabia today that is making the Shi'is and Iran the number one enemy in the world, this Saudi Arabia was buddy-buddy with the Shi'i Shah of Iran. They were bosom friends and politicians. Saudi Arabia in the 1960s was buddy-buddy with the Zaydi Shi'is in Yemen. Some of them. What happened? Why is it now, why can it find Shi'is who can become buddy-buddies with it once again? Of course, we have the black sheep of the crowd and they are to be found in Saudi circles. So the Saudis right now are demonizing the Shi'is. That's the first step in trying to open up a war front against Islamic self-determination that happens to come from Shi'is in our time. They publish they print, they distribute, almost free of charge, all the books that are sectarian. Whether they are Shi'i sectarian or whether they are Sunni sectarian. Their source of finance goes back there to the Arabian Peninsula. And then they want to turn an animosity against Iran to an animosity against Shi'is to an animosity against Islamic movements to an animosity against Islamic personalities. That's their line of thinking. That's their line of action. And they say the Shi'is are more of a danger and a threat to Islam and Muslims than the Zionist and the Jews are. That's what they're saying. And wouldn't you know that they have some of their cashiered scholars 
who will come and tell you that the Prophet when he died he had loaned his one of his military gear to a Yahudi and they'll add to that if you haven't heard it yet you'll hear it they will add to that that the Jews do not curse a Sahaba and obviously they are better than a Shi'is who curse the Sahaba this is the way this is the trend that is unfolding in today's real world and as one of their spokespersons said it's better to deal with a clever enemy than to deal with a clumsy friend that's Anwar Ashqi now the big mouth who is setting the stage for a reconciliation and a military pact against Islamic self-determination that's what he's go- going all around the world saying in conferences in symposia in forums in meetings one-on-one etc it's better to be a friend with an enlightened Israel than to be a friend with an obscurantist Iran and they'll throw in they always do Sadat did it before when he wanted to reconcile and reach a peace agreement with the Zionists he said the Prophet reached an agreement with the Mushriks that was in Hudaybiyah and this is what they will throw at us once again I'll come and say Hudaybiyah was what the Prophet did with the Mushriks and if he could do that with the Mushriks obviously we can do it with Ahl Kitab because Ahl Kitab are less criminal than Mushriks you will hear this broken record in the future if things go their way these are some of the issues some of the issues that have to be presented by the ulama not fall into this sectarian I hate you because you're the other Muslim stuff and you can fill in the blank of who the other Muslim is and this keeps on going on and on and on without an end to it the end to it comes from our knowledge of the truth and our willingness to express it whatever the circumstances Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'a wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ajtinaba wala taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama Allahumma ilayka nashku dha'fa quwwatina wa qillata hilatina wa hawana ala al-nas Ya Arham Ar-Rahimeen Anta Rabbuna Wa Anta Rabbul Mustadhafeen Fa'ila man takiluna Ila gharibin yatajahamuna Am ila aduwin mallaktahu amrana 
إن لم يكن بك علينا غضب فلا نبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لنا نعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بنا غضبك أو تحل علينا صخطك لك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة Allah, 